Welcome to episode 79 of the Search with Canada podcast recorded on Friday the 18th of September 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today we'll be covering Googlebot speaking in HTTP2 and what this means for you. A brilliant study we'll be covering by Reboot Online about does cheap hosting make your SEO worse? And we'll be ending the show talking about Intelligent Tracking Prevention, ITP, in iOS 14, so all of the Apple devices and what that means. This episode is sponsored by Sightbulb. Sightbulb is a desktop-based crawler for Windows and Mac machines, which will allow you to do SEO audits for your websites. Um, Sidebulb is a tool I've used for quite a long time now. We use it throughout Candor Agency. Uh, every every episode, I just kind of talk about a new feature that I like in Sidebulb or perhaps something new they've brought out. And one of the things that Sidebulb, I think, is kind of famous for is their site visualization. So this is a really, really cool part of Sitebulb. So like many tools, you'll pop in your URL, their spider will crawl your site and it will start giving you uh, things they're finding that maybe you need to look at and we've talked before about how they'll prioritize and explain those issues. The site visualizations are really helpful and I'll tell you why. So there's several different types of kind of crawled map tree, directory map, directory tree that they can generate for you. But what you're going to get is a visual representation of how your pages are linked together and a really um, quick way to overview your site architecture. I literally use this today in a call with a client because it immediately highlights where they have sets of pages that are maybe three, four clicks away and there's only one kind of route to get to them. So it immediately warns me that they've perhaps got areas of their site they need to look at in terms of internal linking or um, in uh, in some extreme cases, we've done crawls, and you know when you look at these crawl maps and it looks like an exploding sun, then you know you've definitely got uh, like an information architecture internal linking issue. And just being able to show those, share screen now, especially if we do so many Zoom calls, being able to share those with clients immediately is really powerful. Uh, Sitebulb have got a special offer for Search with Canva listeners. So if you go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, you will be able to get a 60-day, it's a very generous 60-day trial of Sitebulb. No credit card required. You can just sign up at sitebulb.com forward slash SWC. So go and check it out. Just yesterday, on Thursday, the 17th of September, on the Google Webmaster Central blog, we had a post called Googlebot will soon speak HTTP2. So from the beginning of November, Google start, well, Googlebot sorry, will actually start crawling some sites over HTTP2. And this is really interesting from an SEO point of view. So there's been various ways, especially with performance optimization, different hoops we've jumped through over the years. So when we were running HTTP 1, kind of one of the main things here is that when we were delivering, say, image assets, it was quite common to use a 
uh, a technique called sprite sheets, which was essentially where you would have your um, your site images delivered to the browser as one big image and you'd kind of cut out like a sheet the images you wanted to use on the page. And the reason for this was over HTTP 1, um, we had to basically send these things in a in a linear one at a time fashion. So having, you know, 30, 40 images, one would have to be sent and then received and then the next one and the next one and this caused latency. So one of the ways around that was people would just put all of the images into one big image, deliver it, and then cut it up from there. This changed with HTTP2 because it actually allows uh, multiple uh, streams to come over in parallel. So we've gone kind of the other way now. So we don't want to deliver big sprite sheets where maybe there's images we don't need on that page or don't need yet. So actually we're quite comfortable now delivering uh, these assets in small chunks because that, that can be done in parallel. So it's really helpful. There's lots of other advantages uh, with HTTP2. So Google says, um, why, why are we making this change to Googlebot? And they've said, in general, we expect this change to make crawling more efficient in terms of server resource usage with, and I'll call it H2 instead of HTTP2 to save myself. So with H2, Googlebot is able to open a single TCP connection to the server and efficiently transfer multiple files over in parallel instead of requiring multiple connections. The fewer connections open, the fewer resources the server and Googlebot have to spend on crawling. And I think that's really interesting from a crawl budget perspective. So I was just talking to a client today with a particularly large site about crawl budget and how Google does have finite resources and talking about how Google decides how many pages on a particular site they're going to crawl. And, you know, if we're not getting the coverage we need to on particularly large sites, we can use tools like robots.txt or, you know, actually changing how the site structured a bit to try and kind of herd uh, these bots to where we need them to so they're looking at important pages regularly and they're discovering new important content so it seemed to me maybe there's a hint there that that you know if they're spending less resource uh, on crawling that potentially they can do more crawling uh, so crawl budget may become as we'd expect over time actually less of an issue um, we'll put a link in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk to this post um, it gives you some other information about, um, for instance, you can opt out of this if if there's a reason you'd like to do that. Um, they've answered some other questions here, which I think are useful. So they've said, why are you upgrading Googlebot now? And Google says, the software we use to enable Googlebot to crawl over H2 has matured enough that it can be used in production. Do I need to upgrade my server ASAP? Google answer is really up to you. However, we will only switch to crawling over H2 sites that support it and will clearly benefit from it. If there's no clear benefit for crawling over H2, Googlebot will still continue to crawl over HTTP 1. So I'm guessing here maybe they will try and uh, do crawls using both H1 and H2 and see if there's any particular gain for Googlebot in terms of resource for crawling over H2. So I'm guessing as well that means there's 
kind of is not replacing there's still separate infrastructure there and it's about load balancing and you know if the site's kind of simple and it's delivered pretty much the same takes the same amount of time over h1 or h2 they'll keep it on the legacy h1 stuff if you have got sites doing some kind of new funky things with h2 and that's making it easier for google it sounds like that's a thing they're going to do um how do i test if my site supports h2 and they've um Asked as well, how do I upgrade my site to H2? So Google's recommending there's a Cloudflare blog, po blog post with a whole different range of methods to test whether your site supports H2. And the answer to how do I upgrade is basically go and ask your devs or your, your site admin or your server hosting provider. Um, the other kind of detail they've given here is how well how will different features in H2 help with crawling? And Google's answered some of the many but most prominent benefits of H2 include multiplexing and concurrency. So fewer TCP connections open means fewer resources spent. Uh, header compression as well. So they'll drastically reduce uh, the HTTP header sizes and that will save resources. And server push, they've said this feature is not enabled yet. It's still in the evaluation phase. It may be beneficial for rendering, but we don't have anything specific to say at it at this point. I do like the last question um, that they've answered here on H2, which is, is there any ranking benefit for a site in being crawled over H2? No, is the answer. So they're saying that's not obviously going to be like a, a factor. Um, it's possible they may, you know, with a with reduction in cost of crawling, that they may crawl more. Obviously, how much Google decides to crawl anyway is isn't just down to their finite resources. It's also down to you know your website, how many links you have, how big the site is, if your site's returning errors, things like that. Here is something that I found really interesting. So there is a blog post on the Reboot Online blog, which I will link to in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. And the title of this blog post is Long-Term Shared Hosting Experiment. I saw some people tweeting about this and I think it's, it's worth going into. So essentially, and I'll, I'll give you some details of how they've done it, they have set up an experiment to try and determine if putting your website on shared hosting that's shared with lots of other websites, especially websites um, that are in ill repute, we'll say, with Google, um, if this could potentially impact your rankings. It's been um, something I've seen talked about over many years, especially when people talk about things like private blog networks one of the most basic mistakes you see real amateurs make when they're trying to manipulate Google rankings is they'll make their kind of network of websites and blogs and they'll stick them all in the worst case on the same server. So they've got the same IP, same who is information, all that kind of stuff. So those are very obvious footprints. Um, and you see people now that sell uh, sell private blog network kind of infrastructure advertising how you know you can have every website on a separate class C IP address block so that you're really separating these things and they look natural and it was taken as the understanding that you know that's a requirement 
because um, you don't want to be associated with you know even if one of the sites kind of got rumbled and banned you don't want the the rest of the network exposed and there's lots and lots of uh, things you need to uh, do to ensure that but anyway so this is a, a similar experiment um, I think it's fair to say so the the background to this their, their hypothesis is that especially around the AI side to Google so Google's algorithms are you know pretty good now at picking up on a variety of signals both on page and off page to determine how quality trustworthy and authoritative a site is and it's not always known maybe exactly which factors Google um, are looking at because they do have this what they call this you know black box approach almost and the the post here in the hypothesis is talking about those algorithms trying to look for patterns which allow them to identify lower quality websites so with the thinking that with really cheap shared hosting websites you'll attract lots of lower quality websites like spam and pvns could this be actually a factor that google is taking in with all other things being equal if your site is on cheap hosting that maybe it's not as good and therefore doesn't um, deserve deserve to rank so this experiment, um, their method was quite interesting. So they came up with a, an entirely new keyword, which they were going to use as their kind of baseline, if you like, uh, which was hedgenestio. <laughs> and they checked, obviously, this didn't return any, uh, any results. And then they bought up 20 domain names. And again, they're pretty thorough using search operators to check they didn't get any results that had been previously indexed when they searched in Google. They used Majestic and Ahrefs to ensure none of the domains had any links already. So nothing that points to them having been previously registered or uh, having things that could impact how they would rank. So now that they could take it that those 20 websites were all starting on an even footing, um, there's no historic ranking signals there, they went about to find hosting. And the method was they were hosting 10 websites on dedicated IP addresses on Amazon Web Services, AWS. And the other 10 were hosted on shared IP addresses that we knew also hosted bad neighborhood type websites. And this was quite interesting. So <clears throat> but without going into mega depth here, they uh, scoured through a lot of data and they tried to find hosts that had at least 200 other websites hosted on a single IP address. And they then shortlisted that using string matching on keywords in the domain name um, to try and find um, to try and find domains that included things like sex, pharma, casino, poker, escort, cams, uh, slots, all the kind of things that maybe would suggest these uh, weren't reputable uh, websites, or they're more likely to be doing. Uh, you know dodgy link building and things like that and that's actually another step they took which is they went through these uh, sites ran them again through Majestic um, and Ahrefs and they were trying to find uh, these servers that had sites on that were using link building strategies that did go against Google's guidelines so they were doing things like buying links so with all this kind of groundwork done they basically built a very similar static HTML design on each website, um, made sure they loaded quickly, had the same functionality, again, as close as possible. 
And I was quite impressed with this. They went quite far here. So they set up a cron job to run an hourly page speed insight test on every website every day of the experiment because they wanted to ensure that speed was not influencing the rankings because you know you would expect these shared hosts to be slower. So they didn't want to spoil their experiment by you know having really slow sites and that could have been argued that's what was causing this difference. So basically they found they also monitored uh, the uptime with status cake again to make sure that this wasn't an issue and the short version is the performance was pretty much the same uh, or identical uh, scores on PageSpeed Insights. Status Cake showed that both the AWS and the super cheap hosting both had 100% uptime during the experiment. They did get some other people involved in this as kind of independent observers but they were very careful as well not to share this experiment with anyone that they were doing it. Um, because obviously there's again you could argue if people knew about the experiment they were googling things they were clicking on sites this could possibly uh, influence the results so they had very similar content but not again not identical on each website for the target key phrase each website had similar kind of meta information and then they kicked off and this was actually at the end of May now this is this is where it gets really interesting. So they set up tracking with SEMrush to track the position um, of the rankings they were tracking and essentially left that going. Some precautions they took included not searching, as we mentioned, the target keyword or visiting the experiment sites over the course of the experiment. They, regist they registered all domains using different tags creating search console accounts from different IP addresses at different dates and times using different Gmail accounts and names to do so. The domains were fetched in Google Search Console gradually over two weeks at different times and dates and from different IP addresses. They alternated between shared hosting and AWS websites and started by fetching a shared hosting website first. Uh, the keyword was unknown to Google at the start of the experiment. Domain names were unknown to Google at the start of the experiment. There was no historical link data, as you said, on any of the websites. Content on all the websites was the same length. And the keyword density and positioning was kept the same across all the experiment websites. Uh, similar but not identical source code and styling. Multiple daily checks to ensure page speed and uptime was equal. And no external visitors to the website. So that's a pretty thorough job there. Now, the results. So the results are really, really interesting, uh, which basically showed that websites hosted on the shared IP address did rank less strongly than those hosted on a dedicated one. Um, so looking at the kind of ranking, so positions one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine were all taken by the AWS uh, websites. Uh, the final 10th um, the tenth AWS site was in position 13. So that left the shared uh, hosting sites in 10th, 11th, 12th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th. So apart from one, all of the AWS sites um, rank, outranked, the, um, outranked the shared sites. So they did some... Um, they did some data analysis on this and looked at the statistical uh, significance, which I will let you read through if that interests you. Um, their conclusion was, the results of this experiment suggests that cheap 
shared hosting options can in fact have a detrimental effect on organic performance and rankings of the websites hosted there if your website ends up being hosted alongside lower quality and potentially spammy ones, providing all websites being observed are otherwise on a level playing field. Low-cost shared hosting solutions often attract those looking to publish lower quality spammy and toxic websites in a churn and burn fashion. Google and their AI approach to ranking the search results often relies on finding patterns that lower quality websites or those looking to manipulate the search results share. By hosting your website alongside such domains, you risk positioning yourself in a bad neighborhood that could be seen as part of a pattern that low quality websites share. It's important to note that these results don't show what effect the type of hosting you use when setting up a website would have on an actual SERP for a keyword with real competitors. In order to test a single variable, the hosting type, we had to minimize the effect of any outside ranking factors. It makes sense. This, this does, however, mean that we cannot know how much weight is given to the type of hosting as a ranking factor, especially when other factors on page and off page are being taken into account alongside it. Hosting a website on a dedicated server and an IP address has many benefits and now, according to the experiment data, ranking higher in the SERPs could very well be one of them. If your budget allows for it, I would invest in a hosting solution that matches the quality of your products, services and information you intend to offer. So super interesting uh, results there. Now, the discussion online was quite interesting. So Cyrus Shepard was involved as kind of an independent observer and retweeted the results uh, saying, you know, this is important. It needs to be shared. Look, cheap hosting can impact uh, rankings. And interesting, this is where John kind of Mueller from Google came back and replied. And John said, artificial websites like this are pretty much never indicative of any particular effect in normal Google search. It's a cool experiment and a good write-up and analysis, and I love it when folks experiment like this, but it's not useful data. Host where it makes sense for you. So what John's saying there is, <clears throat> that because as the analysis said and as they had to do because they created this experiment in a vacuum with zero competition that this isn't going to be um, you know this isn't going to kind of Google's ranking algorithm isn't really going to work in the same way as it should be I guess so you're not you know it's not necessarily meaning that's replicable outside of this experiment uh, so Cyrus came back and said basically could you present us with more useful data than then to back up your claims and John said uh, are you saying that what works for made-up keywords on artificial websites will work for a website in an active niche that seems like quite a stretch even aside from the technical aspects of what is shared hosting anyway as technically AWS is shared hosting so John went on basically to answer some more questions and just said he's not aware of any ranking algorithm uh, that would take IPs like that into account. Look at Blogger. There are great sites hosted there that do well, ignoring on-page limitations, etc. There are terrible sites hosted on there. It's all the same infrastructure, the same IP address. So <laughs> I think this is one of those cases, again, where, um, you know, John's trying to, you know, just provide his kind of insight that we don't have as SEOs not working at Google. Um, he says, personally, he's not aware of any ranking algorithm. You know, that he's not saying there isn't one. He's saying he's not aware of one. Um, 
And I think it's just a very interesting point. So the last thing he ended up with, which is where I think is a good place to end it, is John said, there are many reasons to pick good hosting over cheap hosting and having good, fast, stable site with happy users does reflect in ranking, but rank the ranking shouldn't be the primary reason. I think that, you know, it's a fair conclusion that regardless of SEO, obviously you want a fast website, you want it to be reliable. So there isn't a reason really you should ever really be going for this cheap, super cheap hosting. Um, but that's a very, very interesting study. We'll finish up this episode talking a little bit about ITP, so Intelligent Tracking Prevention. And if I cast my mind back, this is actually the topic that we spoke about 78 episodes ago on the very first episode of Search with Canda. We talked about uh, ITP, I think it was version 1.2 maybe at the time. So ITP is this Intelligent Tracking Prevention which is um, something that's been around a while now and it's about protecting people's basically privacy by default, especially in terms of things like cookies. Um, and at Apple's annual Worldwide Developer Conference in June this year, there was a couple of big announcements. And one of these was around tracking prevention in iOS 14, iPadOS 14, and Safari 14. So this is essentially uh, all of uh, Apple's operating systems. Now, I will give you a link again in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk if you want to read in depth about this because it is a really in-depth topic. What I wanted to do with you is share a really great bullet point list that I received from the TLDR uh, marketing newsletter so it's absolutely brilliant weekly newsletter about marketing TLD TLDR if you don't know is too long didn't read it's a great email because uh, I'm quite impatient with email and it just very quickly summarizes marketing news absolutely brilliant newsletter would highly recommend you subscribe if you haven't already so the the summary of the changes in intelligent tracking prevention are as such so the privacy report is available in the Safari 14 browser across all of Apple's operating systems. That's Mac OS, iOS, and iPad OS. So this is the operating systems that are going to be affected. And it uses DuckDuckGo's tracker radar list to enumerate which known tracking capable domains have been receiving HTTP requests from sites the user has visited. So DuckDuckGo obviously is the uh, very privacy focus search engine and this is looking at kind of some of these worst offender domains in terms of tracking. So the report does highlight how some of the most prominent tracking domains like Facebook and doubleclick.net have been prevented from accessing the user's browser storage among other things. And since WebKit blocks all access to cookies in a third-party context, the full list of prevented domains comprises all the cross-site requests done from the sites the user visits, not just those listed in the privacy report. Interestingly, all of this, uh, all of the tracking prevention in WebKit is on by default in all browsers uh, in iOS 14 and iPad 14. 
There's full third-party cookie blocking. So all cookie access in third-party context is blocked. There are no exceptions here. All cross-site referrers have been downgraded to just origin. So this means where sometimes you'd see a full URL for where someone's come to your site in your analytics. Now you'll just see the domain. All cookies written in JavaScript will have their expiration capped at a maximum of seven days from the time the cookie is written or rewritten. And Safari, lastly, does not block requests. It strips them of the capability to access cookies or pass referrer headers, etc. So a couple of questions that came out of this as well that are useful to uh, answer is, so does Google Tag Manager actually work? Isn't that relying on third-party cookies? And the answer there is that GTM, Google Tag Manager, works fine. The preview mode requires third-party cookies, so that might suffer. Um, but they've added who in their right mind uses preview mode on mobile. And secondly, so all remarketing tags from Facebook, LinkedIn Insights, and Google are no longer working because of the third-party cookie quote-unquote thing. And the answer is, as far as I know, Facebook doesn't use third-party cookies anymore, but rather sets up first-party tracking with the FB uh, FB clid, so like the um, like the Google Ads tracking, so Facebook click ID, FB CL ID identifier in URLs. So this is a super um, interesting topic. It's something we're going through internally with our developers this week just to understand the impact because there has been with a lot of these privacy changes. Um, again, I was looking at one today with a with a new website that we had rebuilt that had that has now as it should do uh, analytics cookie opt-ins and how that's affecting the amount certainly and fidelity of the data we're getting so it's really important um, that developers marketers start to understand um, if they don't already all of these new privacy um, concerns especially in terms of how we can still be effective as marketers and that's everything we've got time for in this episode so we'll be back Again, last one for September, which will be Monday, the 28th of September. As usual, if you're enjoying the podcast, do give us a subscribe or share it with someone. We'd really appreciate that. And we'll be back in a week's time. Have a brilliant week.